Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here. I hope you're ready for the weekend. We're going to do an open line Friday today, 877-973-7425. But I got a monologue for a little bit. Glad to have you with me. Um, you know, so we got a caller, and I'm going to come to the caller here in just a minute. Uh, who called in to want to know why I wasn't talking about this topic. I was actually going to talk about this topic. Uh, and to kick off the topic, I want to play you some audio from The View where Anna Navarro and Joy Behar got into it a little bit. Ron, and we should all be standing in solidarity with what's going well, on. Well, we should be Iran. standing in solidarity in this country I, for men who are trying to control us well, with I, their I mean, abortion Let's not us. make that comparison. Why not? Be, because Why? Those, people, those women over there are getting killed. I'm, yeah. not, making, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying they're equivalents. I'm just saying we me. need to watch what's going on in our own country, too. But, because you know, these men agree, will try to control me, they're very so different conversations. point, I think that that was probably a, a bit of a... Very different conversations, Anna says, and they, it is a very different conversation. I'm sorry, jo- Joey Behar, you're so broken by American politics, you can't understand this. Women are getting killed in Iran for taking off their jobs. When Barack Obama was president, 2009, you had the Arab Spring, where young Arab citizens of Middle Eastern countries took to the streets demanding rights demanding democracy, demanding change. In Iran, the citizenry was inspired to do the same. And Barack Obama turned his back on them, trying to get a deal with the Iranian mullahs. It's happening again. A young woman was beaten and killed by the Iranian secret police. They denied they had done it. Everyone knows they did. It has provoked a backlash by the citizens, and the Iranian regime, which came to power through provoking revolution, is deeply afraid at this point of having revolution. Citizens are in the streets. Women are standing on the streets, taking off their jobs, the head coverings. Of course, John Amanpour tried to do an interview with the Iranian president. He refused when she refused to put on her, her job. Men are standing with the women. The police are beating them all. Videos have come out of old people being kicked and assaulted by the young men who are in the police. Iran tends to have a culture that respects their elders, not here, not now. The Biden administration so wants to deal with Iran, with a terrorist regime. The people of Iran love the United States. The mullahs do not. The people of Iran would love relationships with the—I would love to have relationships with Iran. Some of my best friends growing up— we're from Iran. I grew up in Dubai, 100 miles north of us, was the Iranian coast. One of my best friend's grandfathers had been on the Shah's guard. His family had to flee over the Ural Mountains or the Ural Mountains to get out of Iran. They wound up in Dubai. His father had been an Iranian banker, was able to get employment in Dubai. They're wonderful people. Wonderful people. Wonderful country, just absolutely lovely human beings. And my heart breaks for them what's going on there. And that regime has disarmed them, defiled them, abused them, tried to brainwash them. The brainwashing's no longer working, and the people are in the streets. And the American president could voice support, but yet again, we have a president who so badly wants a deal with the Iranian terror masters. 
He's not willing to stand with the Iranian people who are willing to die in the streets. To Anna Navarro's point, whatever you say about abortion in this country, no woman is going to be murdered by a man for protesting in the streets over abortion. In Iran, she can be murdered just for taking off her hijab in protest. Now, I want to go to Saeed, who is waiting on this call. Wasn't sure I was going to talk about it. Wanted to know why I intended to. Saeed, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, for Mr. Erickson. This is great to talk to you again. Now, are you from Iran? Of course. Okay. I was born there, but I've been here for 48 years. So this is pretty much is our my country right now. But uh, Iran is always in my heart. And... When I see people hurting, especially women, which they're in the old time, they're being respected very well. People don't know that in Iran, women has a different place than most other Middle Eastern countries. And in the old time, we respect, we all come from women. And I don't understand why they're killing them for very simple reason of showing their hair. Yeah, and, and, you know, I, I think people, they don't understand that, that in Iran, uh, unlike even Saudi Arabia, by and large, you, you're, you're not wearing a burqa. You're, you're not completely covered up. Uh, women no. tend to have more freedom. They, they can work in government more, but yet they are continually repressed by the regime. And the regime, even young people now who want so much unemployment is very high among the young in Iran now. They want freedom. They love America. And the regime will not give them anything. Definitely. And right now, the United States allowing Mr. Raisi, the uh, president of Iran, which is a criminal, he he killed 30,000 people in 1988. And they allow him to come to the, to the United States? This is ridiculous. It is. It, and it offends me as someone who grew up with so many friends who had to flee Iran, uh, who yes. has always wanted to go there. And could not, cannot, uh, and and to know that when I was a kid, this regime tried to blow up the school that I went to. Uh, this wow. regime literally tried to blow up and kill me and my friends in school, and thankfully were stopped. And to this day, continue to plot terror attacks on Americans and others around the world, and this administration to coddle them to want to deal with them um you're, you're not gonna the tiger is not going to change its stripes and yet we could help the iranian people lift up their voices and, and find some solidarity to help overcome this regime and we're not and i'm just i'm so frustrated by multiple administrations who are so intent on cutting a deal with these people that they won't allow the people of iran won't give them aid and comfort to undermine the regime Definitely. I'm so glad you talk about the subject. And I hope, I don't know if I can give a um, domain for people that sure. are here so they can. It is ttun.org. TTUN? Iran. TTUN slash dot org slash Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pulling it up now. I see um, the true United Nations. It is it. It is like a um, social media, but especially for Iran. And that's what we are hoping to get more and more people getting involved 
and not being uh, suppressed or being censored by the big corporations which should get paid by the mullahs or the government, which I guess they get kicked back by them. Well, and, and you know, I will say this, and, and I'll let you go there, and thank you very much for calling in. I, I promise I, I was going to talk about this topic anyway. Um, it's something I'm passionate about. The United States government, to Joe Biden's credit, and I do want to give President Biden one little bit of credit as much as I criticize him on this issue, he has allowed social media companies in the United States to suspend some of the regulations about uh, international operation over the Iranian border so that it will make it easier, they hope, for the Iranian people to engage and organize on social media without having to go through VPNs and the like, uh, essentially telling these American companies, just ignore the Iranian rules, let the people on, which is something Obama did not do in 2009. Y'all, I just... Let me just spend a moment on this issue. I realize this is not one that a lot of Americans care about. It's halfway around the world. The regime is a terror regime. None of you probably, unless you're a native like Saeed, you haven't been there. I've never been there. I've seen it. I've seen it while in the Persian Gulf on a boat. Saw the coast. It's the closest I've ever been. My father... Worked on an oil platform in the Gulf of Me- in the Gulf of Mexico before we moved to Dubai, and, and it was moved to Dubai to work on oil platforms in the Persian Gulf. When I was in ninth grade, he had to evacuate his platform as the Iranians decided to blow it up. They didn't; the American Navy stopped them, but other platforms in the area were blown up by the Iranians. Our family always hosted the Fifth Fleet. Uh, The Fifth Fleet was stationed in Bahrain, but they would come to Dubai because it had dry docks. And when I was in ninth grade, the USS Samuel B. Roberts hit an Iranian mine in the Persian Gulf. Several sailors died. The ship was incapacitated, had to be brought into dry docks. They refused to allow it to sink and give the Iranians a win. Our family hosted those sailors for months I would wake up some mornings, there would be sailors asleep on the floor in my bedroom. Anytime a ship would come in, our family would host the enlisted. The Iranian regime is not the Iranian people. And the Iranian people want to trade with the West. The Iranian people want their freedom. And the Obama administration set them back. The Obama administration refused to support them, refused to help them. They were afraid. The the Obama administration was afraid that if we spark this, we can't do enough to help them. What if it doesn't work out? They'll blame us. That was their fear. They didn't want to try because they were afraid of blame. They were new to the office. They were scared of what was happening. Obama goes to Egypt, to Cairo. He gives this international speech apologizing for America, apologizing for American imperialism, apologizing and saying, you should have democracy on your own terms. And he sparks street protests across the Middle East, and he's so scared of what he's done, he cowers in the White House and doesn't back any of these people. And in Egypt, it allows the Muslim Brotherhood to come to power. And then we had to respond. And in Iran, 
the people take to the streets, and what are they holding in their hands in the streets of Iran? Homemade American flags. They've torn clothes and fabric to make red and white stripes in a blue square. And they've cut stars and they've sewn them. Where they could find them, they got real American flags, not to burn, but to hold high. And they were killed. They were killed. Barack Obama turned his back on them. Barack Obama betrayed people who hoisted the American flag in defiance of a terrorist regime. When I was a kid, the Iranians tried to kill me and my friends. They tried to blow up my school. I never blamed the Iranian people for that. The Iranian people lived under an increasingly brutal regime by the Shah, desperate to cling to power. The Persian Empire, it was Persia. It was the end of the Persian Empire. And the Iranian mullahs were able to tap into that. Guess what? Inflation was out of control. And the, the Iranian regime came into power and immediately began to repress the people even more than the, the Shah's regime. And to this day, their Western-loving people who want to do business with us and be our friends, a lot of them have, have family in Israel. The Iranian Jewish population, it's dwindled over time, but it's still there. It's been there since the, the exile of the, of the Jewish people. When the Babylonians came in, the, the, the Jewish culture moved there. They, they took Jeremiah 29 seriously. They stayed there. They prayed for it. They, they planted gardens. They took families. They married their sons and daughters, and they built a community that to this day is still there thousands of years later, oppressed, repressed, suppressed, but there, yearning to breathe free. And this Biden administration at least is letting our tech companies try to help the people, but he himself is so desperate to get Obama's deal back with the terror masters of Iran, I'm afraid he's going to turn his back on the people of Iran again. Time and time again, American democratic administrations betray the people of Iran, and all they want is freedom. We should help them get it. We don't have to send our weapons. We don't have to send our soldiers. All we have to do is tell the Iranian people, we see you, we hear you, and we support you. And he won't even do that. And you can call in and be a part of the program if you want, 877-973-7425. So I'm getting a golf lesson tomorrow at Barnsley Gardens, which is a great place in North Georgia I shouldn't talk about because it's gotten so hard to get a room up there, and it's such a great place. But I bought some golf balls that I put the show logo on, the Eric Erickson show logo on. And on the back side, if you find the ball, it says, looks like Eric lost another one. <laughs> I figured for my golf habits, it would be great. Um, so if you find one of these, yeah, I probably lost it somewhere at Barnsley or some golf course somewhere in Georgia. I keep getting asked to play with people. I was like, all right, I really do have to get my lessons now because I'm I'm terrible and 
I need to get better. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. They're noon in Georgia nationwide. They can help your business grow. If you need access to large loans for your business, $750,000 and up, reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them I sent you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Okay. Uh, to the phones, Patrick, waiting patiently. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Hey, how you doing, Eric? Good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Yeah, I just want to talk about, uh, I hadn't been mentioned in a while about, uh, you know, I didn't I voted for Trump the first time, thought he did a great job as the president, uh, really helped the country out. Uh, he lost the election because he turned into a buffoon there at the end. Um, but uh, nobody talks about all the Trump lovers now. I don't really care for him because he tried to ruin our state. You know, he tried to, uh, he, he spent his whole time attacking Brian Kemp and uh, trying to even get Stacey Abrams uh, as governor. And, and uh I don't. I don't consider that good leadership qualities. There. Are, are you trying to get me hate mail, Patrick? I mean, I, I know what happens. Poor <laughs> Anne. She's going to get inundated by by angry people mad at you. But I mean, to your point, he recruited David Perdue. He tried to recruit several other people to run against Kemp. Couldn't get him to do it. Tried to find somebody to beat uh, Brad Raffensperger. Tried to find somebody to beat Chris Carr. Um, people who probably. I mean, when you look, some of his candidates picks around the country are going down in flames. Uh, you just had the Republicans abandon his pick in uh, an easily winnable Ohio race. The guy might be able to pull it off, but it didn't look good. He's a January 6th guy who got into a bit of trouble, it sounds like. Um, listen, the fact that Brian Kemp and the Republicans in Georgia were able to get their nominations in contested primaries despite Trump backing the other people is just another data point that the 2020 election wasn't stolen in Georgia. People just were tired of Trump. And to the extent Trump wants to come back in 2024, I think he needs to be able to honestly assess why he lost in 2020 instead of continuing to hold on to the theory it was stolen because otherwise he's going to make the same mistakes again, and he doesn't have to make those mistakes, and he could win. But he's going to have to get through a primary. And when we had the guy call earlier today who was very upset about um, some of my statements on Trump and is suspicious of DeSantis and still loves Trump. And those people like that still exist. They very much adamantly support Trump above all else, but I think they're rapidly going into the minority as people want to look forward, not in the past. And no one wants to relitigate 2020 moving into 2024. If Trump does that, he's going to have problems. In Georgia, Brian Kemp is going to win re-election even without Trump's support, and that's notable. Welcome there. The phone number again, 877-973-7425. I want to go to Don, who has been waiting patiently. Don, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Thank you. So it's been five months since the Dobbs decision, and the hysteria hasn't panned out. Do you think that its power on uh, voters um, has lessened except for those that are ardent pro-abortion? Yeah, you know, so I originally thought it wouldn't have an impact at all, and I think I was wrong about that in that it's not going to have the impact Democrats have said it was going to have. It's not going to have the impact where uh, a bunch of swing independent voters vote Democrat and, and save them from a Republican takeover of the House. Um, it's certainly, I think, taken situations where 
uh, a like for example, if four or five months ago Republicans were generating stories that we they thought they had a shot in seats that Joe Biden had won by ten points. They really don't probably now. Those Democratic voters are fired up. They're going to go out. They're going to save the Democrats. But there are a whole lot of Democrat plus two, three, four, and five seats where the Republicans are still probably going to to be able to, to win because at the end of the day, most voters care most about inflation in the economy, not abortion. I mean, take Georgia, for example. Herschel Walker probably is going to win this race. He might not. But he's doing way better than anyone, myself included, thought he could do. He's pulled it to a tied race. Polling tends to benefit the Democrats in Georgia by a couple of points, which means he's probably ahead. According to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll, a poll that has Herschel Walker in the lead, only 5% of voters care about abortion. Stacey Abrams has ended her race for governor, making it all about abortion. She's not talking about the economy. She's not talking about crime. She's not talking about education. She's only talking about abortion. And I don't think that's going to win her this race. I don't think it's going to be a winnable issue. Now, in a state like New York or California, abortion's a big issue, but those are already blue states. So that may impact a seat there that leans Democrat, Republicans thought they could get, and takes that out of place. So you may not have a 50-seat Republican uh, swing in the House of Representatives, but you still get 20, 30, 40 seats in the House, and you still pick up the Senate. Now, Republicans can still pick up the Senate. In fact, right now they are uh, ahead in Nevada and in Georgia. Even if they lose Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, that means they pick up the Senate because Ron Johnson is going to win in Wisconsin. These sorts of things matter. 877-973-7425. Jeff, I want to go to you next. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hey, Eric. It's good to talk with you. I just have a couple quick points regarding Stacy with her heartbeat comment. Um, if you add color flow to that ultrasound, you can actually see the blood flow through that fetus early on. And in reality, your heart, my heart, even a heart on a pacemaker is essentially cardiac muscle responding to an electrical signal. Mm-hmm. The, the second comment for her is this is the second election cycle I've listened to her debates last cycle and listening this cycle. It seems her entire answer for economic problems throughout Georgia, including including rural Georgia, all rely on Medicaid expansion, building hospitals, administrative jobs, nursing jobs, support staff jobs, all supported by the Medicaid tax funder or taxpayer funded dollar. Yeah, essentially, she's wants Washington to grow to grow Georgia. Uh, she wants yeah. to expand federal government n- entitlements in Georgia. That's her solution for really everything in Georgia. That's not a winning solution for her because people are tired of Biden. They're tired of the Democrats in control. That's her message. I honestly, y'all, in 2018, she seemed like she had it together. She knew what she was doing. And, and the whole thing is just I'm stunned by how bad her campaign is. I'm stunned. And not, not just her as a candidate. Her entire campaign operation is just bad. I've run campaigns. I can recognize a bad campaign and operation, and this is one of them. It it is just striking to me. Now, I want to spend a little more time here. I've been waiting uh, to get to this story. Uh, I talk about this a lot, and this what's notable about this is it comes from Vox. 
Vox is a left-wing site. Vox is, everyone at Vox is reliably left-wing, and when they're raising the alarm on this issue, it's important for everybody to take notice. The headline, how the polls might be wrong again this year. It just seems to keep on happening. Democrats get their hopes up from rosy-looking polls, but they get a rude awakening when votes are tallied. In 2016, Trump's win shocked the world. In 2020, a seeming Democratic romp turned into a nail-biter. And now, as the 2022 midterms are drawing nearer, polls show Democrats performing surprisingly decently, pointing towards a close election. Unless the polls are underestimating Republicans again. And lately, there's been a debate among election analysts about whether that's exactly what we should expect. It has always been a good idea to treat polls, poll averages, and election forecasts with some healthy skepticism. They're all good at getting us in the neighborhood of the outcome most of the time. But in any given cycle, polls are frequently off by a few points. So sure, polls can be wrong. The debate here is a different one. Have polls so persistently underestimated Republican candidates of late that it's simply common sense to suspect it's happening again? Or is the recent polling error tougher to generalize? The last cycle in which Democrats really felt the polls didn't set them up for disappointment was 2012. Polls that year fluctuated, but they usually showed Obama as the favorite. There was a dissenter, Dean Chambers, founder of the site called Unskewed Polls. Chambers, a conservative, argued that most pollsters were systematically undercounting Republicans, so he reweighted the results, unskewing them, he said. Much mockery from liberals about this cycle about this rather crude methodology insured. And when the results came in, Chambers got egg on his face. Here's the funny part. In every election cycle since, Chambers would have had a point. Most Democratic candidates underperformed polling in competitive Senate races from 2014 to 2020. First came the 2014 midterms, a GOP wave. The final Senate polls correctly indicated a Republican takeover, but they understated the size of GOP victories in almost every competitive race by nearly six points. National House polls also showed that discrepancy. In 2016, it happened again. National presidential and House polls were fairly close to the results, but in most presidential swing states, polls underestimated Trump. Polls underestimated GOP Senate candidates by three points. In 2018... There was another discrepancy between national House polling, which was fairly accurate, and competitive Senate polling, where Republicans were underestimated by 2.5 points. And in 2020, polls had their worst performance in decades because they significantly overestimated Democrats' margins at every level. Presidential popular vote, presidential swing states, Senate swing states, and the House by five points. So over the last four cycles, national polls have twice been reasonably accurate and twice underestimated Republicans. But relevant for our purposes, polls of competitive Senate races underestimated Republicans in all four cycles. And of course, presidential swing state polls underestimated Trump both times. A poll error of about five of three points on average is pretty normal. All polling is an exact science. Things could go awry in sampling or waiting. Additionally, undecided voters make up their mind at the last minute, 
but if polls are consistently erring over multiple cycles in the same partisan direction and often in the same states or regions, that could indicate a fundamental problem. Part of the recent debate among election analysts is about whether this has actually happened. That is, how should we interpret the last few cycles? Has there been consistent overestimation of Democrats? If you look at Senate polling of competitive contests from 2014 to 2020 and swing state presidential polling in 16 and 20, the pattern of bias is plain. Polls underestimated Republicans far more often than Democrats. It's true. In these races, time and time again, polling has overestimated Democratic strength and underestimated Republican strength. And if you extrapolate that out to now, and you look at where those underestimations happen and by how much they happen, and to do so consistently, what you see is that in almost every state, outside of Colorado, the polls underestimate Republicans. Colorado oversamples Republicans. I personally think in Colorado it's because all the Democrats are stoned and not answering the phones. The Republicans are aggressive in Colorado. They're the only ones not high. Everywhere else, Republicans are undercounted. And if that bears out, if that maintains, then that means that Dr. Oz does win in Pennsylvania. That does mean that Blake Masters could pull it off in Arizona. That does mean Herschel Walker is going to win in Georgia. does mean Carrie Lake is going to be governor of Arizona. It does mean Republicans take the governor's mansion in Nevada. It does mean Republicans do a lot better than what Democrats are saying they're going to do. And it does mean that the polls have yet again screwed up. And most pollsters privately think that Republicans are being undercounted. And that means Republicans will take back Congress in November if voters show up. And the undercounting has actually happened. John, I'm going to go to you next. John, welcome to The Eric Erickson Show. Hey, Eric. I uh, have heard you say that uh, the Republicans, with their uh, goals of taking over in November and uh, then in January when everyone's sworn in, that we need to move forward. There's so much baggage currently out there, so many scandals that uh, we probably should let go and let God. But by the same token, what, in your opinion, are any of the scandals that should be worked up? Hunter Biden clearing out the the weaponization of the uh, government, et cetera. What should we focus on uh, if we have to let certain things go? Uh, what should we focus on if we have to let certain things go? Um, I One thing I think the Republicans should look at but should not make center stage is Hunter Biden. They shouldn't let it go, but they shouldn't make it center stage. They should particularly focus on how the FBI went to bat to dismiss it. Um, another thing that I think they need to look at is the China situation. And Joe Biden and the Democrats downplaying. There's a report out from NBC News. I haven't had time to get to it yet today about uh, over 200 academics who are of Chinese descent being lured by the Chinese to work for China. They need to look at that. They need to look at the cross-collaboration of some of the environmentalist activist groups and the Democrats, and they need to look at the IRS. Now, what do they need to let go? Well, If they win, probably 2020 wasn't stolen and they can let that go. That's a big one. 
I think they can let go the outer extremities of the Hunter Biden scandal. They don't have to just obsess about Hunter Biden, put it on a side burner, look at what the FBI did. The FBI is the one they really need to look at more than anything else. They probably can let go some of the older scandals that Republicans have campaigned on in the past. We don't need to relitigate Hillary Clinton, for example. I don't think most of them want to. But I would just caution them because I know the desire of a lot of the bases. We need to just go full force on Hunter Biden. No, go full force on the IRS. Go full force on what the DOJ and FBI have been doing and tie Hunter Biden into that. Look at the big tech companies and their collaboration with the Biden administration to censor conservatives. If you do those things, I, I think those things matter most. Uh, for setting an agenda for reform, particularly of tech companies in this country. And obviously, they got to look at what the Biden administration has done with the economy and how they're possibly like continuing to ruin the economy. In fact, if you're worried about your IRA, let me just give you a stock market update right here. The Dow is now down uh, well beyond 700 points. The NASDAQ is down over 200 points. It's kind of bad out there. If you want to use precious metals, particularly physical gold and silver, to help your retirement account, reach out to my friends at GoldCo, 855-904-5933. You'll get a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use physical gold and silver to protect and grow your money. Not ETFs, actual, real, physical gold and silver. Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. You can call my friends at Gold Co. Find out how you qualify for the special offer, 855-904-5933. They've helped thousands of Americans through stock market swings and inflation. They want to help you. You can text my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. Text Eric to 33777. I'll text you back Gold Co.'s number. Just call them, see if they're a good fit for you, find out about their offer, and get their wealth protection kit. Learn how to use gold and silver. Text ERIC to 33777. Well, stand by on the phones. I'm going to try to get to some calls here, but there's breaking news happening right now. I knew it. I knew it. We all knew it was going to happen. There have been a series of polls that have come out uh, in Georgia for uh, the race, and they come at a time that even major media organizations are saying Democrats nationally are abandoning Stacey Abrams. The New York Times has done a story on this and others. I have heard directly from sources that the Democratic Governors Association is pulling its money out of Georgia. So you've had these polls. You had Emerson or the Trafalgar Group, which is Republican, had Kemp up seven. Emerson had Kemp up four. Fox 5 and Atlanta News Network had Kemp up eight. Quinnipiac had Kemp up two, and even the Democrats dismissed that one and say you got to add five to the GOP there. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll has Kemp up eight. Marist University has Kemp up 11. CBS News, YouGov, has Kemp up six. Well, the Democrats have finally dropped their poll to try to shake up the conversation. The Democratic poll, Pat Paddington Research Strategies, a Democratic firm, has interviewed, well, voters in Georgia. Doesn't appear to be likely voters, just voters. Though this is the Democratic polling firm, folks, and they have Kemp at 50%. They have Abrams at 47, her best showing in the polling average. Uh, Abrams is at 44 and Kemp is at 50. 
He's above the runoff threshold. Even the Democratic polling firm has Kemp avoiding a runoff. That's how bad it is for Stacey Abrams in Georgia. Okay, to the phones. Gary, you are going to be next. Welcome to the show. Hey, Eric, I just wanted to ask you, how far does the stock market have to drop before people start jumping out of buildings like a long time ago? Well, it's down 807 right now. Um, We're almost down right to 29,000. It had been at 30,000 to start the day. Um, Look, I don't think that's going to happen because the underlying percentages are not as bad. But you had the, what, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond CFO jump jump off a building a couple of weeks ago under stress and and allegations swirling there. I hope it doesn't come to that. I'm more worried about the crypto warriors than I am the people who have invested in the stock market because crypto isn't doing so well. And I know more than one person who took out personal loans or used their line of credit to buy crypto. And that's tank. That's crypto is actually my big fear. And when so many people don't understand that there isn't as much of a focus on by the media, and that's the one that deeply disturbs me, uh, deeply worries me, because I know so many people who went in deep and they were buying at the high. I know some people who bought at the low, but I know a lot of people who bought when it was very high, and, and it's going to come back and hurt them. Uh, yeah, y'all, the, the Dow Jones Industrial Average right now is down 811 points, NASDAQ down 331, S&P 500 down 109. The New York Stock Exchange Composite is down 450 points right now. Every major company out there is down right now. It's just hemorrhaging money in the stock market over fears that the Fed is going to keep raising rates. And then Janet Yellen came out and said they might not hit 2% at all next year, which has caused further panic in the markets because that means they're going to keep raising rates. If the Fed goal is 2%, they got to keep raising rates until inflation gets to just 2%. So that could be a year of no growth in the stock market. Bonds, correspondingly, U.S. government bonds are surging. Not corporate bonds, U.S. government bonds backed by the government. People are putting their money there for safety. All right, I'm going to go hit golf balls. Y'all have a great weekend.